funeral service in Washington. Becoming your own lobbyist on Capitol Hill. A funeral radio special. With Robert M. Fells, Executive Director and General Counsel to the ICCFA. Well, hello again. This is Bob Fells with the ICCFA, and I'm back on Funeral Radio with another show that we've sort of titled uh, Funeral Service in Washington, that is to say Washington, D.C., rather than Washington State. This time, I'm going to discuss a rather grim topic, but one that has uh, consequences that we're still trying to figure out in this planning stage. And that rather grim topic is known as mass fatality management or mass fatalities management. I've been working now for almost 10 years with various federal agencies. And I should point out, I'm not alone in funeral service. Uh, Many other people in other organizations and trade associations have also been busy through these years uh, working with a variety of federal agencies. And uh, there, for example, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, the Department of Defense, DOD, um, the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, as they call it, all the alphabet soup type of things that uh, that you hear uh, tell. And uh, it's a very broad uh, sort of combination of, of organizations. In fact, we were told that uh, this is the largest sort of um, gathering of the federal government with the private sector the largest undertaking since World War II. So that sort of gives you pause and say, wow, uh, this is really a big deal. This is all under the heading of preparedness planning. You don't like to say disaster or catastrophe, but that's really what it's all about. When I started on this back, uh, I think, in early 2006, uh, the one thing that people were worried about as far as potential disaster or catastrophe, was the avian flu, sometimes known as simply as the bird flu. And uh, it was the concern was that not so much that birds were suffering and dying from this influenza strain, but rather that the strain, because these flu strains are always um, uh, migrating and mutating, I guess is the right word. And the concern was if the... Uh, avian flu strain would um, migrate or mitigate to humans. So far, birds just caught it from other birds, and there have been a few instances of human beings contacting, but they seem to be rather extreme situations. Uh, But that was back in uh, 06 and 07. That was something that really got people's imagination and the private sector, not just from funeral service, but from all walks, really responded uh, very much, and on their own dime, I might I might add, uh, to come to the meetings in Washington and elsewhere. And many times they were over several days. And uh, we all put our heads together to try and get, well, to try and get our arms around um, a mass fatality planning, as well as other aspects of catastrophe, such as of the pharmaceutical industry, transportation, fuel, even things like banking and credit 
all of these things, if you know, life as we know it, even in one limited area, is uh, knocked out for the time being, uh, we could be back almost in the in the Stone Age, as far as a practical matter. We know that this just isn't all theory because we've had at least two terrible lessons in the recent past. One, of course, was nine eleven that we will never forget. Uh, which claimed over 3,000 lives, both in New York at the World Trade Center, at the Pentagon, uh, and then in Pennsylvania with that, that flight that went down. Uh, then, of course, in 2005, there was Hurricane Katrina and all the damage of that one. So uh, no one had to be convinced that this is important, and it's very important for a funeral service uh, to be in on this and to be planning. So first of all, let me let me go over a few things as a preliminary thing, and I, I don't pretend in this one uh, show we're having here we're kind of going to take a view from thirty thousand feet. Um, if there's sufficient interest, we can certainly come back. There's much much more to talk about, much more to get uh, in depth with. But this is a sort of just a start. Uh, one thing we should probably do is define what is a mass fatality. And if you hear me shuffling some papers, it's because I'm using a lot of the documents that we developed over the years of working on this thing. So I'll just read you something very briefly from, these are uh, non-classified or unclassified government documents, so I'm not giving any way, away any state secrets here. Uh, a mass fatality incident is defined by the International Mass Fatality Center as, quote, any disaster that causes loss of life and human suffering that cannot be met through usual individual and community services, unquote. And that's a nice way of saying that any sort of uh, mass fatality, mass death event that overwhelms the existing system in both the public and the private sectors. Now, what, what causes a mass fatality is open to interpretation. For example, I am told that in New York City, which has a lot of resources being New York City, that uh, 10 deaths at the same time is considered mass fatalities. Uh, other people would say, what? You know, New York can't handle 10, 10 deaths, you know. Uh, but that's what they start with um, in, their, in their planning. So one other point let me point out to you that, that is important as we try and, again, get our arms around the various scenarios and what can happen is the fact that um, of the resources that are going to need, there's something called the CIKR, and there's a lot of alphabet soup stuff when you deal with the government. And this is called CIKR, is Critical Infrastructure and Key Resources. And this means like hospitals, other facilities, trucking, railroad, you, know, you can think of these you know, yourself. And the fact is that 85% of these CIKR assets are privately owned. As large as the government is, 85% of these assets are still owned by the private government. So um, the ball is really in our court, those of us in the private, private sector. And this is one of the things we have to uh, consider. Another th preliminary matter let me discuss is the fact of... Um, the the origins of a mass fatality event, and there are basically three, although two of them come from Mother Nature herself. One, of course, we all experience with uh, earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, fires, 
things that are nature-caused and that cause widespread disaster, injury, and death. The second type of natural disaster um, is uh, the, as I just referred to before, the avian flu, any sort of disease, sickness, centuries ago, you know, the Black Plague, that sort of thing. And these are things that are still really on the horizon. Perhaps the most recent example historically we found of a natural, you know, scourge of a disease was the Spanish influenza pandemic that happened not quite a hundred years ago, 1918 and 1919. Um, And that was a worldwide uh, pandemic. Many, many people died. Um, In our uh, review of different historical events that we might draw lessons from, we discussed with the government representatives the Spanish influenza pandemic. And what was sort of unnerving is the fact that uh, that strain of flu is still out there. It's been sort of dormant, but we could have another major Spanish influenza pandemic any time. Just the fact that it happened 100 years ago doesn't mean, oh, well, uh, you know, that was then. So we actually studied that. It is interesting as far as funeral service is concerned that in some areas of this, this country, the United States, um, there were so many deaths at one time, talking about masses fatalities, that we saw saw photographs of of steam shovels that were just digging trenches. I don't know if they were in fields or in cemeteries, but they were just digging trenches. And they would put one body to rest after another, after another, all along the the trench. It was quite a startling thing to see, and we were reminded of uh, this type of thing could happen again, even though we're in the 21st century and we pride ourselves on how high-tech we are, uh, the fact of the matter um, is that these are things that could happen again. So the two of the three types of disasters are the nature, the natural made from weather conditions or from diseases. The third, I think, is the one that is perhaps the most unnerving for most of us, and that is the man-made disaster, which is a fancy way of saying terrorism. And we've already seen examples of this around the world and even places in the United States like the Boston Marathon. And of course, 9-11 will stand for all time as one of the most horrendous and horrific examples of of terrorism. But these are some of the factors. And of course, we don't know, are they just going to be of a local nature? Could they be of a, a widespread nature affecting a large area, a state? Could it be something that's so massive that could affect the entire nation? We don't know. So in preparedness planning, we're having to set up as many as many sectors as we can or as many uh, scenarios as we can. Um, for example, right now and for some years now, the average mortality rate in the United States is 2.5 million deaths a year. This is normal. This is year in and year out. It varies. Sometimes it's 2.4, but usually 2.5 million. Now, a mass fatality event would happen where this amount would become much larger than the 2.5 million um, from either a catastrophe, a natural catastrophe, a disease, a plague, a pandemic, or from some horrendous uh, terrorist event. And this is where the existing systems could very well be overwhelmed in in how we go about these things and how we do these things. Um, and so many 
sectors of our economy are affected that many of these people don't even realize this. Back in 2009, I gave a PowerPoint presentation with my friend uh, John Fitch. John Fitch, you may know, was the in-house lobbyist at the National Funeral Directors Association. Well, we worked together on this mass fatality uh, panel, and in January of '09, we got together and we gave a PowerPoint presentation to one of the meetings in Washington, D.C., and uh, all the representatives were there from many of the sectors and from many, many of the government agencies, and it was a good thing, too, because what we had figured out by then is that Nobody really understands that in the event of a a true catastrophe that had, say, widespread consequences, how much basic services would be affected, and especially in our case, of mass fatality management. So we started talking. I said, look, if something really bad happened and there were just a huge surge in deaths in any given area... These are some of the areas, the other sectors, that the death care industry would be relying on. And, for example, we said transportation, the maintenance of supply lines, for example, the chemical industry, embalming supplies, cleaning supplies, disinfectants. How about energy, electricity, natural gas, even fuel for transporting human remains or the supplies, say caskets, body bags, things of the communication information technology, telephone and internet access, if those went down or were affected. Commercial facilities, in the case of a truly mass fatality, um, when it would come to the storage of remains, we need refrigeration facilities. We had serious discussions at some of these meetings that we might have to actually commandeer ice rinks where, you know, people go ice skating to store human remains until they can be processed and properly uh, disposed of. There's emergency services, communications, ID systems, notification systems. How about water? Imagine if we don't have a water supply for mortuary and cremation processes, even banking and finance. These things are going to cost money. They're going to be temporary loans or insurance. The healthcare industry, the, 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 the medical records and things. Postal and shipping, these are also the supply lines. Manufacturing, supplies for mortuaries, funeral services, crematories, food and agriculture as well, refrigerated trucks and facilities. What was interesting is, as we gave this address back in 2009, we were interrupted throughout, which is fine. We wanted to get this interactive. And a lot of people, you know, put up their hands, oh, come on, uh, that's all taken care of by DMORT, which I think many of you know DMORT is a the team of both the government and private sectors, funeral directors, volunteer from, I believe it's from the Department of Defense that goes out in the case of disasters uh, to deal with human remains. So someone said, you know, DMORT's going to take care of all this. Well, somebody from the Department of Defense was there and spoke up and says, no, that's not DMORT's job. And there was a hush in the room. Everyone went, oh. And as as John Fitch and I went on and discussed other aspects of it, again, people spoke up. It's, oh, no, that's that's health and human services. They're going to take care of that issue. And some people from health and human services were there and say, no, no, that's that's not our job. 
And anyway, you, you get the impression. So as we went through our PowerPoint and the outline, we brought up all these different subjects and areas. People would speak up and say, oh, come on, that's already all taken care of. So by the time we were finished with our presentation, you could hear a pin drop in the room because we made everyone aware from the different sectors and the different agencies in the government that there actually was not a lot of provision for who is going to do what when it is needed. And that was the point of our presentation that we, we still have a lot of, a lot of work to do. Uh, turn now to, in the few minutes we have remaining, uh, just some of the mechanical things that would need, that would need to be done here. Um, so let's say some sort of mass fatality event has occurred. We don't want to become a doomsday Ridden. So let's just say it's isolated to a town. Maybe we all like to talk about years ago the avian flu. So let's say a really bad outbreak of the avian flu occurred. It mutated to human beings and whatever. And you just had uh, such a number of deaths that it overwhelmed the existing system to handle deaths in human remains. Well, we developed at one of our meetings, uh, first of all, a, a chart, and I'm looking at it now. With uh, First of all, we had four different levels of crisis. It went from tier one, which is normal, tier two, which is a surge, more than normal. Three was crisis, and finally, tier four was overwhelmed, where there was too much to do and too little people to do it. There also were several stages in the processing of human remains. And I'll just recite a few. First of all, the remains have got to be identified. Who is this person? You know? Um, and as with, uh, as a legal matter, all, of course, human remains must be pronounced dead. So there are people like the medical examiner, coroner, or even funeral directors that would be pressed into service to pronounce, as they say. Then collect the death scene information, depending on what happened. Was it, um, caused by personal injury or not personal injury, a disease, was it violent? Then what do we do with the remains? There are containers, uh, body bags, pouches, caskets, whatever. And where do they come from? Where do we get them? What if there's not enough? How do we get more? Then there's the analysis and reporting. We just can't check these things off. These things have got to be reduced and documented. They also have to be tracked and finally, of course, there is the transportation to the, the morgue or the funeral home, uh, to temporary morgue, morgues, private contractors, uh, final disposition. We had discussions about uh, the, 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 the crematories. Uh, we learned that uh, some of the more modern cemetery, uh, crematories could be run 24-7. They could just, the retorts could just be keep going. Older units, no. You'd have to shut them down and let them cool, and that would limit the amount of remains that could be processed, at least through cremation. It was truly um, a grim process, but one that we need to, to deal with. Otherwise, we're going to be up the river without a paddle, without a clue, if and when— um, what we hear in this day and age may happen. I know we were briefed by many people in the federal government who told us that, a, you know, say a terrorist attack, it was not a question of if, it was a question of when. And I think you've probably just heard that in your reading and watching news on TV. You've heard people saying that, and nobody dis disagrees with that. So it is a little, little on the frightening side. I'm running out of time, so the last thing I want to leave with you 
uh, again, and it's kind of a, again, a 30,000 foot overview, is the need for every facility, funeral home, cemetery, crematory, to in fact um, be prepared. And one of the best ways is called simply cross-training. And you may say, isn't that an athletic thing? Well, in the business world, you also need cross-training. I'll just give you some quick examples. For example, let's say you're running a cemetery, and you have a backhoe, and you have your ground crew that runs the backhoe to prepare you know, the spaces for burial. Well, in some sort of incident, you may have people that are not able to report to work for whatever reason. Um, if it's an if it's a flu pandemic, maybe they're sick. Or another thing, let's not forget, they may be fine, but they may be taking care of family members who are sick. Absenteeism can run very high that way. So let's say if you had a fifty percent absentee rate at your business, and let's say you had nobody on the ground crew that was there, and you had to open up graves for burials, is there anyone in your office staff? who answers the phone or takes care of the files and the record keeping, could could they go out? Would they know how to use a backhoe? And vice versa. What happened if your office staff, for some reason, couldn't show up for work? Is there someone in the grounds crew that could come in and handle the phones and the record keeping and things like that? So you want to think about um, cross-training. And there is a, a great deal more to be said about this, uh, certainly, but this is one thing that all the preparation in the world won't do any good if we are unable to turn the lights on in our operations uh, to help on these things. So, as I say, I hope I haven't depressed you too much, but it's part of, I guess, life in the 21st century. So um, I'll leave it there for that, and I'd be able, uh, very interested to hear your comments. Uh, and if you'd like to hear more, as I say, there's so much more. I've spent years on it. Um, working with different agencies and other associations, and we have not exhausted the subject yet, and we haven't even really arrived at a point where we think that uh, we've gotten our arms around the situation. But we're still working on it, and that's the important thing. Well, thank you for joining me. Again, this is Bob Fells, ICCFA for Funeral Radio, and I hope you found this helpful. Um, I appreciate any comments, not just uh, compliments, but if there's something we can do better here, please let me know about that. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.